This is Brett Hayworth, and welcome to What's the Frequency, our half-hour news show that follows the exchange on Siouxland Public Media. Together, the two shows give you a variety of important information on key issues that impact our lives. In this episode, we will highlight an important political event that makes Iowa the focus point of the nation and world early every fourth year. I'm referencing the Iowa caucuses, the first state contest in the process by which the National Republican and Democratic parties select their presidential nominees for the November election. It was a bountiful evening for former President Donald Trump in Sioux City precincts of the Iowa caucuses on Monday evening as he got substantial support in Woodbury County and the entire state of Iowa overwhelmingly went into the win column for him. Trump got 51% of the votes in Iowa with 56,260 overall, while Ron DeSantis received 21% of the vote and Nikki Haley had 19% for third place. Trump won Woodbury County and 98 out of the 99 counties in Iowa, so it went very well for him. And now the candidates move on to other states, such as New Hampshire. Now with the caucuses over, we gather some perspectives on what's the frequency from two seasoned journalists with years of caucus coverage. We will hear in a bit from Aaron Murphy, but first with me is Art Cullen, who heads up the news coverage at the Storm Lake Times Pilot, a newspaper that won a Pulitzer Prize a few years ago. Thanks for your time, Mr. Cullen. How are you feeling a few days removed from the caucuses? Uh, relieved. Relieved? Uh, they're over and in the rearview mirror, probably permanently, and that's fine by me. I, I know you pride yourself on being focused on community journalism, but just to kind of follow up from that last question, how much do you personally enjoy covering a presidential race? Less and less every cycle. It, it used to be a real blast. My brother John, for example, years ago when we were in Algona, Iowa, got to spend the day with Howard Baker, uh, shot photos of him shaving in the Super 8 motel, and uh, and then uh, accompanied him as he went house to house for coffees. And, you know, that that's all changed. Now it's a, a airplane or airport rallies. And, uh, you know, we uh, didn't see much of the candidates in Storm Lake uh, because they concentrated themselves in Sioux City and Sioux Center and uh, not here. Yeah, what you're describing is you kind of miss the more one-on-one retail-type politics. Yeah, money uh, has, you know, has flooded uh, Iowa and uh, uh, it it just ruined it. And uh, uh, you know, the last cycle was interesting just by its sheer size, the Democratic uh, uh, nomination process where there were, I think, 25 candidates, and we interviewed probably 20 of them. And uh, uh, that was very interesting. But again, you know, there was a lot more handling involved, a lot more messaging that wasn't that kind of earnest conversation that you'd have with John Glenn or Paul Simon or Bob Dole. And, uh, but I'm getting old, I guess. Okay. And just so people understand, besides yourself, who else uh, covers, handles caucus coverage and would, would uh, go to candidate events besides yourself? Uh, well, uh, Kate Keeley is a young reporter, a uh, recent a uh, graduate of Iowa State who was the editor of the Iowa State Daily. And uh, my son, Tom Cullen, is a, a very good political reporter. And uh, uh, and then Amber Momond uh, is another Iowa Stater. Uh, and she helps out. But it's been primarily 
Tom and Kate uh, on the front lines, and then I sit in the office and pontificate. Is Kate and um, Tom and yourself, as you as you write these things, what are the key things that you want to air for the Times Pilot readers in the caucus-related uh, articles that you're writing as you do coverage? What is it that you're aiming to, to provide for your readers? Well, uh, an insight into how... Uh, the community and politics interact and what voters are saying and thinking and you know you know most important what are the candidates talking about and uh, because that really reflects what the voters are interested in and uh, so uh, I'm personally very interested in uh, how evangelicals are so attracted to Trump when he uh, is, uh, he has all the moral character of my left shoe. And uh, so that's interesting, <laughs> I think, just because of the, uh, it's, uh, it's just almost absurd. And I'm interested in why people, uh, despite all evidence to the contrary believe that uh, Joe Biden was not duly elected and uh, we haven't been able to figure that out through our reporting okay well let's let's dig into what you said uh, you said not a whole lot came through but could you um, tell us maybe give us a, a flavor of what towns they came to like what candidates did you see in, in that region and what was sort of messaging did they have did they have like uh, Storm Lake BV County centric message, or was it more of a just a generic message? What would be some notable ones that came through the area? Well, uh, Nikki Haley and uh, Ron DeSantis both visited Storm Lake, uh, and Ron DeSantis's uh, one and only visit was very brief at the, a local uh, Earthrite Center, and uh, so his message that day was about. Uh, you know that he's pro-life, and uh, but it was very brief, no, uh, no questions uh, taken. And, and Haley was here once, and you know it was just a whistle stop and uh, very superficial. And uh, and then there were the also rans, Asa Hutchison, uh, oh this guy who was some. Uh, Air Force pilot who was running. I can't remember what his name was. <laughs> uh, anyway, the, a lot of them third-tier candidates uh, mm. actually did come through Storm Lake. I'd say three or four of them. Okay. Um, again, for just brief visits, and nobody paid attention. Okay. Um, and did, would you have, um, I was thought of you, would you have gone to Cherokee if Trump had kept his Sunday the yeah, we had planned to cover Trump's rally in Cherokee on the Sunday before the caucuses, um, but I was grateful that the uh, sub-zero temperatures kept me home and yeah. kept Trump away, because uh, I don't know that I personally could have sat through that without uh, exploding. I'm speaking with Storm Lake Times pilot, journalist, Art Cullen, here on What's the Frequency. So let's get into caucus evening, and you kind of mentioned the weather. What what did your team? What where did you and your team go to cover the caucuses, and what did, what did they see that night? How did it play out? Well, uh, 
my wife, Dolores Cullen, uh, she's primarily a photographer and feature writer, but she went to uh, Alta uh, to cover the caucuses there, and, and uh, that was Alta's interesting because it's uh, uh, five miles west of Storm Lake, uh, but there's a lot of evangelical folks in Alta and very conservative Missouri Synod Lutherans. And uh, so uh, that's interesting. And then uh, uh, Kate Keeley covered uh, uh, the Storm Lake caucuses, and uh, they were all held in a central lo- location at the middle school. Okay. And, uh, and then Tom Cullen was covering the caucuses in Cherokee for the Cherokee Chronicle Times. And did they, did they say... Uh, any glitches? Did things go smoothly? Any notable speeches or someone said something out of po- no, it was pocket? Completely uneventful. Completely uneventful. And uh, it was mainly, you know, people were just orderly filing in and, and signing up. And there was decent turnout uh, considering the uh, kind of predetermined outcome. <laughs> I think everybody knew that. That Trump was going to win, and uh, and he did with sixty-two percent, I think, in Buena Vista County and fifty-eight percent in Cherokee County, and uh, so uh, I don't think it was the cold. If turnout was down, I don't think it was the cold because they sold out Carver Hawkeye Arena uh, for the Indiana game, and I think nine thousand people showed up at Hilton Coliseum. To watch Iowa State put down number four Baylor women uh, in the middle of a blizzard. See, now that's <laughs> that's that's the context. That's why I re- reached out to make sure I talked to Art Cullen. Good. Yeah, because I was going to re- bring up the fact that in 2016, the last contested Republican contest, there was 187,000. This time, there was about 110. So I, I was curious what you thought if did weather factor into that. So you're you're saying probably not. Not so much, no. And uh, everybody, you know, everybody here wears Carhartts, and uh, they uh, they like to run their snowblowers. And uh, nothing is going to stop them if they. Nothing is going to stop a Trump supporter for sure from showing up. But you know, if you kind of like Nikki Haley, and you know, and you're kind of a Bob Ray Republican, it, it might have been a little cold and say, "What the hell? I'm not going," because Nikki Haley can't win anyway. But I think it was really because the the race was predetermined. Everybody knew that Trump was going to win. If you have been paying any attention, you knew that Trump was going to win. And uh, uh, so I think a lot of people, they just said, oh, what the hell, they stayed home. And and also, I think there's one other factor involved, too, and that is that the Republican Party is now down to, you know, kind of a hardcore activist group. Uh, and a lot of, uh, again, those Main Street Bob Ray Republicans feel left out and maybe not entirely welcome. Thank you for a lot of perspective on Trump and evangelicals and how, who people, you know, various groups that support Trump. I don't, I don't know if you have a sense of this, but I want to pose it to you. Do you have a sense on whether Republicans in Iowa in that area are more or less on board than when he left office in 2021? More. Okay. They're more on board because they've bought into this of, uh, messianic vision that he has of himself as a victim you know he's being crucified 
and uh, that, that's a really appealing Jesus story uh, that people can easily understand and identify with and uh, because they feel like victims too and and they feel like they're being crucified on a cross of gold uh, William Jennings Bryan 1896. Hmm. That tradition runs pretty long and deep here. <clears throat> Last week in the caucus preview of the What's a Frequency, I spoke with someone I suspect you know, uh, Bradley Best. He's a political science professor at University University there in Storm Lake. Yeah. And he shared some history, which great history on the prominence of the Iowa caucuses since you know since 1976 with Jimmy Carter and how they were in prominence. As my final question, was there anything that happened on Monday in these particular caucuses? that you think would lessen the prominence of Iowa in the selection process for going forward in future cycles? Well, I, I just think the caucuses are done, and uh, Iowa is going to be a complete flyover country in the future. And the Republican state, the Iowa Republican Party, thinks they can preserve their first-in-the-nation status uh, if Trump loses uh, it's over, and uh, there's a good chance Trump will lose. And even if Trump wins, it might be over, uh, just because the nation is sick of Iowa leading the caucuses, and most Iowans are sick of it. The Democrats, the Iowa Democrats, just threw in the towel. Uh, they didn't even hardly put up a fight at the Democratic National Committee. So I think the caucuses are done. It's going to be a bad thing for America, but a good thing for Iowa, because it, if it eliminates this rain, acid rain of money, corrupt money flowing into the state and poisoning our blood, as it were, uh, we can maybe get back to being Iowans again, friendly neighbors who uh, sort out our differences at the school board and trust the school librarian to manage things and uh, get back to a little saner Iowa that we that we once knew before the caucus. Thank you for the conversation that we had. Again, this was Art Cullen of the Storm Lake Times Pilot. Thanks, Art. I appreciate it. Thank you, Brett. Appreciate it. Now on What's the Frequency, I'm joined by Aaron Murphy, Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids for his input on the caucuses. And how long for you? How long was how long was this cycle been? Do you remember the first event you covered of this cycle? Was it was it in, was it in twenty three or did it even go back to two thousand twenty two? Well, the the way I consider it, it when I I remember covering some in the spring of twenty three. You could probably you know you could make the case that you know for the full tour coming around in twenty two, and I'm sure I covered some of those events where they come here to help an Iowa candidate, but they're clearly you know, laying the groundwork for what's to come next year. And I'm thinking specifically of Tim Scott for sure was around a lot in 2022. I believe Mike Pence was as well, but don't quote me on that. I'm, my memory isn't as strong on that one. Um, so, you, so you could argue that those were, were caucus events too. Um, but, but I kind of classify them as, you know, when, when we turn the page from the, the, the election from the midterm, um, and when do they start coming back then? Because that's when it's really getting serious. And, and uh, you know, we, we have the legislative session that starts in January. So 
there may have been some trickling around before I managed to get out to them, but I definitely remember by March I was covering uh, candidates. And I don't remember who the first one was necessarily, but I remember, you know, in that spring, it, it was already underway. Yeah, okay. And as you approach your coverage, what, what are the key things that you want to have in your articles, that you want to air in the articles on the caucus and the presidential contest race so that, that people know? Yeah, I, I, I love that question. The, the one thing I always try to, and, and this, this applies to legislative coverage and, and other stories too, but uh, I think especially with the caucuses because it can be tempting to get distracted by other things in, in, in your reporting. Uh, the, the one thing I always try to remember when I'm, when I'm filing a story on a caucus event is how is this going to help the reader learn more about this candidate and if it's you know their party how is this going to help that person um, decide whether this is the candidate they want to support or not or, or whether they want to consider someone else so that's always my north star every time that you know I, I, I try not to get caught up in the, the horse race and the um, the inside the campaigns kind of intrigue kind of stuff uh, I really try to steer my clear that and and always think to myself okay what when i put this thing together how can i help inform readers and 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 even more importantly voters um that's a pretty broad um take at that um and then the way you do that is by talking to the candidates and and trying to focus on issues uh, and again and not the horse race and then talking to people who come to those events to get the um, you know, try and get the read of where Iowans are on, on these people at these issues. Yep. And I'm joined here on What's the Frequency. This is Aaron Murphy of the Des Moines, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette and Cedar Rapids as we dissect the Iowa caucuses. And, of course, what the Republicans and Democrats in Iowa are ultimately trying to do as they see these candidates is they want to figure out who I wanted to support. You know, they've considered who's running and they, you know, they hear them. Do you feel that in this cycle there were enough candidates coming through so people, if they wanted to see them in person, that they could see them in person? Yeah, I think for the most part that uh, the candidates continued to campaign that way here. Um, there's some exceptions worth noting, and obviously uh, former President Trump has his own unique style of campaigning with the, you know, just coming in, doing big rallies and, and taking off. He doesn't do the little retail style stuff, and, and you know, part of that I'm sure is just logistics too, is you know, the kind of crowds he draws um, in fairness to him would make it really hard to do any kind of retail campaigning. And, and he did do a little bit more of that this year than he did eight years ago, but still largely focused on the big event. Um, and and I would also say that Nikki Haley, if there is one of the top tier candidates who didn't campaign here as much as the others, it's definitely Nikki Haley. She, and that's not to say that she didn't campaign here in Iowa, but she definitely obviously took a more uh, all-encompassing approach to the early voting states. She was in New Hampshire and South Carolina a lot too, as well as Iowa, versus someone like Ron DeSantis, who just absolutely blanketed the state in, in the classic style of campaigning here. So, uh, but but uh, to circle all the way back around to your question, yeah, I, I do think that the candidates got around enough that um, the Iowans who take this seriously and want to be involved had their opportunities um, to these folks uh, for the most part. Okay, and you mentioned a couple of specific candidates there a few seconds ago. If you think back over the entire cycle, let's say two, is there like, or two or three, is there two or three events that you thought were like the most notable, the most, I don't know, groundbreaking in news or the vibe or however the event was? Anything come to mind there? 
Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. And part of that, honestly, is um, the candidates have become so disciplined uh, with their messaging on the campaign trail. It, it is it is remarkably difficult to get them off of their stump speech, even when they take answers from the press. And obviously, when then when they don't, they don't, they don't even have to. Um, and, and they're good at it when, when folks ask them questions in town halls. So I, I can't rem- remember, you know, the it wasn't even Iowa, the event that uh, Nikki Haley did towards the end in New Hampshire where she kind of made the the swipe at Iowa about Iowa right. makes its decision and the New Hampshire, um, yeah, corrects it. Even that, and I said at the time, I, that's not going to hurt her even in Iowa. They said that's not the kind of thing. And I think that's the other reason that I, I can't think of one event necessarily or one, you know, one thing that happened that stands out is because voters don't see it that way. They, they don't hear one of these candidates say one thing at one of these events and then have that change their mind. They really do take this whole thing collectively um, and, and more broadly and, and, and don't necessarily swing the pendulum with every interesting comment that a candidate may or may not make at any given event. event. So, so, yeah, I, I think I just see... I just view it a lot more um, collectively than a, a, any big single moment at any event. Okay. And, and now as we turn from lead up to the caucuses to the actual caucuses, describe where you were on caucus evening, what what your role was, and, and what kind of reporting did you do? Yeah, so we have um, a team of, uh, I mean, and we have helpers beyond us, but the, our core reporting team is three of us uh, myself uh gazette's deputy bureau chief tom barton and then we have a working partnership with the lean newspapers so we work closely with their des moines bureau chief caleb mccullough and so we kind of form a de facto three-person team three-person newsroom um and so uh, we took advantage of that and sent each one of us to one each of the top three campaign hqs it was a very unscientific process on how we decided who went where and ultimately, I uh, went to inform President Trump's campaign. Um, Tom Barton went to the um, DeSantis campaign HQ at caucus night, and um, Caleb went to the to the Haley campaign HQ. And then we just, you know, worked together on on our coverage as the results came in, you know, from our from our various uh, remote locations um, during the day. I, I don't, I have not in this year or in past gone to a precinct. Um, and, and then before reporting the results, and that's mostly because we have, like I said, we have other reporters on the team as well. So like at back at Cedar Rapids, we had reporters that did that. They went out to precincts and talked to people. And my role in, in, in past years has been to kind of be pulled up somewhere. So as soon as those results start coming in, you know, I'm helping to write our results story and I'm not, you know, trying to hustle back from precinct or something like that. So I was at Trump HQ in Des Moines in the Iowa Event Center um, watching the results as they came in, surprised like everybody else when it got called um, so early. Uh, but, uh, you know, selfishly as a journalist, uh, the, we like those early calls because we can get that work done earlier and, and not have to worry about staying in the wee hours of the morning to get a story filed. So that was fine by me. Yeah. Are, are you jealous? I covered a precinct here at Western Iowa Tech College in Sioux City. Ryan Binkley was here in person to make his case, of like the three-minute speech at the precinct to why nice. people should yeah. vote for him. Right. So, right. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I do. Like, I, I, honestly, I, I do wish that I 
could experience that. I, I literally have never been in a room for a for an Iowa caucus, which is, is kind of uh, almost blasphemous, uh, honestly, <laughs> for the job that I have. But I get, like I said, because I've always been holed up somewhere on on um, on uh, on caucus night for reporting the results. So I know maybe one of these years I'll I'll hand off the heavy lifting to someone else and, and I can sneak out to, to a nearby precinct or, or something. Because, uh, uh, yeah, my, my, my wife and daughter have been to a caucus, but I haven't. Yeah. And I'm with Aaron Murphy, and we're having a journalist, looking have a journalist viewpoint on the important Iowa caucuses that just took place. And I know you shared on Twitter and elsewhere some stats that illuminate how heavily this, this victory went for Donald Trump. What, what are a couple of the few stats that bear that out, Aaron? Yeah, the two big things that jump right off the page are um, his, the level of support that he reached. So he hit 51%, which no um, Republican candidate who wasn't an incumbent in, in an actual competitive caucus year, no no Republican candidate has ever surpassed 50%, and Donald Trump hit 51 So that's, that's a huge deal. Um, and then from there, the margin of victory as well. It wasn't a, a close race between that 51% and someone else. Um, Ron DeSantis was a distant second at 21%. So that 30-point margin victory is also the largest ever for a non-incumbent. And that just speaks to clearly the, the, the continued strong level of support that Donald Trump has within the Republican Party of Iowa here uh, with among the voters. Um, and, you know, look, to a certain degree, it, it, that shouldn't be terribly surprising because he wasn't an incumbent, but he, he kind of was in a way, right? Having served a term as president not terribly long ago, um, so he was kind of a quasi incumbent. So, so from if you look at it that way, that level of support is is, is, is certainly still historic, but not altogether shocking either. Um, but but you know, it just speaks to despite everything that has happened and and uh, the different legal trouble he's been in and and the sometimes incendiary uh, language he can use that despite all that uh, he still uh, puts up big numbers within the Republican Party. And you you well know that there's a lot of people who um, kind of grouse about the role that Iowa plays that, that Iowa gets to be first and other states kind of pick away at that. Was there anything that happened in this caucus cycle that you think would lessen the prominence of Iowa in the selection process or puts that at risk? Well, the one thing I am hearing about a lot, especially from national folks, and, and when I talk to national reporters or, or get asked to do um, an appearance on like a cable show, I, I've been hearing a lot of talk about the turnout. Um, and now obviously the cold had a little something to do with that too. The, the turnout was a little bit down this year. Um, the, the extreme cold might have a little something to do with that. I think it was headed for being a little bit of a down year anyways, uh, again, because of Trump's um, dominating presence in the field. I, I just didn't. Uh, you know, I said this throughout the summer and fall that it just didn't feel like the enthusiasm level for these this caucus cycle matched what we've seen in recent uh, cycles. Um, so I think it was going to be down anyways. Then you add that cold. Um, so so I think that's the that's the one I've heard a lot about. You know, and I, I get asked about. You know, this is such a momentous thing, and we're talking about only a hundred thousand people, just a little more right, than who participated. Right. Donald Trump only had 50,000 some votes, you know, uh, those those seem like small numbers to be uh, starting the presidential nominating process. So and then by the way, these are not my opinions. I'm telling you what I'm, I'm hearing out there about other things. So so if there is right um, uh, uh, someone coming for Iowa on the Republican side now too, 
I think that's probably where the, that conversation will start. Um, I think there's a there's an argument to be had in, in defense of all that, and 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 uh, we can go into that at another time. But 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 that's the one specific criticism I'm hearing this time around. Thank you, Aaron. Again, this has been Aaron Murphy, Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette and Cedar Rapids to give some perspective on how the Iowa caucuses played out on a big night for Donald Trump. That's a wrap for this edition of What's the Frequency, and thanks also to Storm Lake journalist Art Cullen for his perspectives as a guest earlier on the show. Airing this afternoon on Siouxland Public Media will be The World at 3 p.m., followed by All Things Considered. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next week for What's the Frequency. For Siouxland Public Media News, I'm Brett Hayworth. Thank you.